Well, uh, Mike texted me um, yesterday and uh, said, hey, I just want you to know it's hot, 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 and the air conditioning system isn't working so well. So, you know, pray for him. Um, I don't know that he's getting a whole lot of uh, sleep, and he's preaching today. Um, It reminds me, too, that small things really do matter, like that air conditioning unit. There's actually an African proverb that says, if you think small things don't matter, then you've never spent the night with a mosquito. (laughs) Some of you know what we're talking about. Small things done consistently over an entire lifetime make all the difference in the world. And same thing with small things done over a long distance make all the difference in the world, like our life. I'm just thinking if we were to take a catapult and try to send a care package to Mike in Ghana, if we were off by just like five degrees north, it would end up in Cairo or something. Those small things really do make a big difference. And that's the sense that you get from Psalm 1. Small things matter. And it's a lifetime of trying to make right choices. And when you do that, you end up with a flourishing life. But those small mid-course and, you know, half-course projections, they make a huge difference. And I know that we've been focused on that for the last six weeks. We've been doing this deep series. And many of you have uh, made some changes in how you're doing uh, your life. We did that because, as you remember, Mike said, the cultural current seems to be getting swifter. And so if you just do the same old same thing, you're going to end up downstream. And worse, you know, you might get tossed around here and there by the cultural winds and like a piece of driftwood just be thrown up on shore someplace. So we, get, we need to do things differently. And we've been experimenting with that. All of us have over the last six weeks. I'm sure many of us have kind of introduced new things and tried new things. I've heard of people praying more and people who have joined prayer groups, and they've said that's been transformative. I know people are reading the Bible more. I know that they've rearranged their schedules so they can meet in small groups and attend here in church. I know of someone who said they're going to read the Bible in 90 days. And they shared that with me, and then they looked at me, and they said, and you should do that too. And I thought, actually, that's not a bad idea. Read it in 90 days, you get the broad sweep of these themes throughout Scripture. That would be a good thing. I know that there are people who are fixing a sin problem. They're saying, okay, enough of that. I need to just kind of put that to the side. I need to get back on the right path. I know of people who are serving more. I know of people who are uh, giving sacrificially. Lots of us are making changes. I'd love to ask for a raise of hands to see if, you know, how many of you have made changes in the last six weeks as a result of this uh, deep series or just experiment with things, but I don't want to embarrass you. But I'd still like to know, so I'm going to try something that's not been done in a church before. I'd like you to blink three times at me. It's a holy number, three. So if you could do that now. <laughs> so we won't tell Mike about that. But pretty cool to look out into the congregation and see all the things that are going on in people's lives. Well, I tried, I've been trying some new things too. So I still remember Mike's second message when he talked about prayer. And he said, I start my day early in the morning and the first thing I do is pray. And I do that when my foot hits the top stairs as I'm heading down the stairs. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that tomorrow morning. And so what I did is I quietly, with some anticipation, snuck out of bed, sauntered across the wooden floor, opened the bedroom door, and I stepped out onto the top stair, focused my mind on God, and I thought, okay, great, I get to pray. I'm going to start praying. 
And then I was interrupted, and I heard this. That's Kaylee the cat. We've had Kaylee the cat for 14 years. I've heard this sound actually every morning for 14 years. I don't know why I didn't think about that. I was just excited about praying. And I know that many of you have tried some different things. So as we wrap up this series, I want to suggest four things. Four things to kind of be a fence post to keep us on that flourishing path. First thing, uh, Mike has stated this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but they say we need to hear something seven times before it sinks in. You're very bright people, so I think two's going to do it. And he said, think eulogy, not resume. Think about the end of your life. What are people really talking about? It's not the house you lived in, the car you drove, your net worth. They're not talking about those things. What are they talking about? It's relationships, Right? the way you've impacted them and the way you have impacted others and the kind of the significant things you did to make this a better world for other people. That's what they're talking about. You know, that is where we need to go when we start thinking. If we're thinking about long-term where our life needs to be and you're thinking about, you know, one day my life will be over, you just think about and you act differently in your life. So think eulogy, not resume. Second, think qualitative shift, not quantitative shift. Quantitative means I need to work harder, move faster, get busier. And the Bible doesn't really say that. A quantitative or a qualitative shift is about shifting something in your life so that you can grow closer to God, so that you can get on that path that brings you in alignment with Him. Qualitative shift means making space for God. It may mean introducing something into your life, but it probably also means shifting something out of your life. God's not asking you to get busier. In fact, he says, be still and know that I am God. Uh, He wants your time. He really is like a doting dad who just desperately loves you. He loves you more than you love you. And he's like a father who, you know, has been there all along with his child and just has wonderful memories and conversations. And then the child gets that letter from the college that they've longed to go to and they've been accepted and she's very excited. And they they head off to the college and he drops her off and drops her off at that uh, dorm room. And, you know, she's again very excited, says goodbye. He's a little sad. He drives home and he's holding it together until he gets home. And then he walks into her bedroom. And he sees the stuffed animal there on the bed that she snuggled up to every night, sees the drawings on the wall, and remembers all these silly things that have transpired over the last 18 years. And then there is this ache in his heart, and he begins to cry. But it is a good cry because he longs to see her, longs to have her there again, longs to hear her voice. And your Heavenly Father is just like that. He longs to hear your voice in prayer. He longs to have you just pause and take some time and invite him into your life. That's the kind of father you have. He loves you. So think of a qualitative shift. Third, follow God's word. Here we need to look at Psalm 1. It's going to come up on the screen. Psalm 1 says, well, up here it says, Blessed is he who does not walk in the way of the wicked does not stand in the path of sinners, does not sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. 
Then he will be like a tree planted by streams of water who bears its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and then whatever he does, he prospers. Verses 1 and 3. Following God and following his word gets us to this flourishing place where we're deeply rooted. That's how you get there. Now, this is a great psalm for us to wrap up our series because Psalm 1 is really a prologue to all the psalms. There are 150 psalms, and so it's a prologue on how to walk wise. You walk wise by walking in God's Word. In the early translations of the Bible, Psalm 1 wasn't even called Psalm 1. It was an introductory paragraph to all the psalms. It's meant to be kind of a compass or a a topical sentence that you just kind of keep in mind as you're kind of walking through life. And when you do that, you can kind of gauge whether I'm on the right path or the wrong path because this is kind of guiding you. So that's why I've given it to you as an insert for you to just kind of keep in your car and memorize the psalm and then use it as a compass throughout your day. Now, when you read that psalm, you'll see in there um, that there are many different paths. There's one path that brings you to that flourishing life, but there are many paths you can go sideways. And when you think of your life, um, you know, just think of all these kind of intersecting paths and all the decisions you have to make each day, whether to take this one or that one, but you want to stay on that straight path that brings you to the tree planted by streams of water, right? So there are many paths, and the way forward is to choose the flourishing path. And when you do that, that doesn't mean you're going to have this uh, necessarily easy life. It's always going to be flourishing, right? Why? Sin is in the world. It's in us. And sin is also in God's creation. It's actually in the physical environment. Romans 5.12 tells us that sin came through Adam and then through one man through into all of humanity. Romans 8.22 tells us that Even the creation groans, waiting for that day of redemption when it will be renewed. So it is everywhere. And even though we might be on that flourishing path, that stuff intersects our lives now and then, and that's why things can go south. But you're still, and I would say this, this is still going to be your best life if you stay on that path. It's going to be your best life for four reasons. First, when you do life God's way, you're going to get his results. And if you decide to do it a different way, well, then you're going to get those results, and we really shouldn't complain about it. But God has a certain way, kind of hardwired, actually, into the very fiber of uh, reality. And when you do it his way, you get his results. I had a professor that would tell me that all the time. And then he would say, David, and so if you do it a different way, don't complain about it. And he's right. Uh, You know, there's a certain way to live life. It is your best life, secondly, because God designed the system, okay? He created you, and he also created the creation, and he knows what's best and how to kind of walk on his land and navigate your life through it. It's your best life, thirdly, because when you live life a certain way, he can use you to be a blessing to other people. It's, uh, you know, it's the way it works, And that's why you think kind of eulogy versus resume, right? He can use you to be a blessing to other people, but he can't do that if you're not kind of walking with him. And then it's your best life because he invites you actually to help him build his kingdom on earth. And he can do that when you're on the flourishing path. When you pray the Our Father, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I'm in. I want to help you with that. Remember that? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you're saying, Lord, I want in. I want your kingdom to come. Your will is perfectly done and perfectly formed your kingdom in heaven, but I would want to see that on earth and count me in. So those are things that are going to happen. Now I want you to notice three words in Psalms. We don't have time to go much deeper, but three words that I think are important as you're on that flourishing path. The first word is walk. Think of your life as one long walk from beginning to end. You're on this path, and you are walking somewhere. And in this case, in that psalm, don't walk. Blessed is he who doesn't walk in this certain direction. But you're walking, and your walking is going to bring you really one of two destinations. It's going to either bring you to that flourishing place like a tree planted by a stream of water, or your walking is going to bring you to that other destination in verse 4. That talks about chaff. And the chaff is really just the outer husk of a seed that is sloughed off, it's scaly, it's good for nothing, and they just plow it under, and that's the other destination. So those are the two destinations uh, that you end up one way or the other. The other word we need to look at is meditate. There are two other words, meditate and law. Meditate has this idea, and it says, you know, but... uh, but blessed is he who does not walk in these ways, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Meditating has this idea of, of rehearsing over and over, kind of thinking and recycling and, and looking at it and reflecting on it from lots of different angles so that it becomes kind of innate, um, implicit. It's just part of your DNA. It's like chewing on something aggressively until it's well ground and then you digest it, and it just becomes part of who you are. This is what emergency, uh, you know, uh, techs do. They just train, train, train until when that moment happens, they respond really well. Now, the focus of the meditation is God's Word. The Hebrew word for that is Torah, and this isn't just about the Ten Commandments, but it often refers to the first five books of the Bible. Law first five books of the Bible. But in wisdom literature, it also encompasses often uh, all of God's guides, guidance and instructions. So this is what we're focused on, uh, God's instructions to us, God's uh, advice, God's guidance for us. And when we do that, we can stay on the flourishing path. Now, here's a lesson I've learned. You can't just kind of know it. You kind of have to know it. Uh, because kind of knowing it, just like in the medical field, when the emergency hits, isn't going to really help you, right? You got to know it. And um, I learned this lesson, you know, kind of in a sideways way. My wife and I were out at Acadia National Park. Now, we had driven out there, and I saw that there was a mountain to climb. It's called Mount Champlain. You can get up there through what's called Precipice Trail. It's a thousand-foot climb. It's considered strenuous, but Honestly, I thought it would be a cakewalk. Um, I had been hiking the Rocky Mountains for almost 40 years, felt really comfortable outside. And so I left Susie around 2 in the afternoon. She was in the campground. I had the car. There was no cell phone reservice, uh, so I just booked it up the mountain. Now, I didn't bring a map. I didn't check the weather. Um, you know, just brought one bottle of water. I thought everything's cool. So I booked it up. I made it to the top, and I thought, great, I'm up at the top of the mountain, time to head down. Just at that moment, though, this heavy fog rolled in. I'd never had fogs out in the Rocky Mountains, but it rolled in, and it got cold and damp, and I could only see like 30 feet. 
And I thought, not a problem. I'll just book it on down the mountain. I was more worried about Susie back at the campground. Again, no cell phone service, so I need to get down. So imagine my shock when I got down the mountain and I was standing on a kind of a, just a little tiny road, like a Forest Service road. And at that moment, I realized I had gone down the wrong side of the mountain. It was now like 6 o'clock and the, you know, it was getting a little darker and that fog was still there. And I thought, man, I'm, I totally missed. I had taken the wrong path. I didn't know the map. I kind of knew the map. And I thought, maybe if I stay on this road and begin to run right now, I'd be five or eight miles away from my car. And I prayed, and I began to run. And lo and behold, I did find my car. It took till about eight o'clock at night, and I made it back to the campground. Here was the lesson. My strength became my weakness. I thought I knew things. So I didn't look at the map. And that had gotten me in trouble. I didn't meditate on the map. I didn't know the map. God's word is like a map to us. And unless you know it, it's not going to guide you into the right directions. And this was my own failing. So we need, to, we need to know the map. Fourth, we need to follow Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You can be trying to run this course, but there's something that separates us from actually getting there, and it's called sin, and it's in us. You know, Mike talked about this. He says it's not a flesh wound. It runs deep, and it really does. It is pervasive, and we just can't see the trail very well. We're not going to be able to see it. We don't have the right worldview. We're going to miss left and right. Someone once said, sin takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it makes you pay much more than you ever want to pay. It's absolutely true. The best way to overcome this, you'll find it in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 15. It simply says, repent and believe in the good news. Repent and believe in the good news. Repentance is this idea of turning. So you just turn it and you head in the other direction. Innate in that is this idea that I need to admit some things. I need to admit to God uh, that I I haven't done this very well. I need you. I need to admit that I got sin in my life. And so you do that. And the Bible tells us when you do that, when you confess those things to God, It says in 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you admit. The second thing you do is you believe. And you're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that will take the sin away, but you actually have to have a point in time, space, and history when which you believe in him. You place your faith in him. You trust him. You begin to follow him. Romans 10, 9 says it this way. It says that if you... Confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. When you do that, something quite amazing takes place. And you'll find it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Listen to what it says. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit not only acts as an encourager, but also like an internal guide, helping you understand God's word. How can you stay on the path? You need the Holy Spirit. You need your sin out of the way. You need to follow Jesus. But you need the Holy Spirit who whispers 
uh, information and convicts you, but also encourages you. He's like an internal GPS. God seals you, though, with the Holy Spirit the moment you ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And so we need that. As I said, small things really do matter in the end. Um, Trusting in Jesus Christ is a big thing. Aside from that, to stay on the path, it's a lot of small things to get all the way down your path and end up in, in the right place and stay on that flourishing path. I've asked three people to come and join me, share a little bit of their story. God's been teaching them a couple more things, and they've made some course corrections, and they're learning some things. And so I've asked Jamie and Jeff and George to please join us up on the stage and share their story. heard Mike early in our series say something to the effect of nobody falls into shape. Nobody goes to bed one night and wakes up knowing French just like they'd always hoped. And in the same way in our walk with God, no one goes deeper without in some way rearranging their life to learn something new about God, to experiencing Him in a new way. And so one of the things I had committed to a few weeks ago was memorizing Psalm 23 And then rehearsing that through the week, whether I'm driving, whether I'm sitting at my desk, whether I'm in my chair, in whatever places that I would say those words, or even better, words like them. So I might focus on the fact that the Lord is my shepherd, and what does that mean to have a shepherd? And that I shall not want, what is that about? Or what about the fact that he has to make me lie down in green pastures? as he works to restore my soul. And I'd I'd say these words and I'd think about the depth of their meaning and the security and the safety that God brings through that. And then later, I had an experience of setting up a time of solitude and of silence, and it was an extended time. And essentially, uh, it wasn't that I walked around and looked at people and went, no talking. I just I found a quiet place to go be and to think about God, to reflect on Him, not to run through a prayer list, not to read a book, not to listen to sermons, just quiet with God, almost doing nothing with God. And it was in that time as I walked that I looked at the nature around me and I thought, God has been here creating this and protecting this and watching over this for a very long time. And it hit me that he's been protecting and watching over me as well, that he loves me. And I felt that sense of his love, of his being a good shepherd, of his preparing a table in the presence of my enemies, no matter what I faced, that I could have confidence in him. And it was in that time that there were these two words that just stuck in my mind, and I still think about what they mean today. Unhurried, something about not trying to put too much into my life, not trying to race through life, not trying to schedule appointment after appointment and unworried, finding myself thinking about unhurried and unworried, and what would it be to trust God more? What would it be to believe that God has it in control, that God knows where our 18-year-old daughter will go to college, that God knows what's best in our marriage, what's best in my work, all these things. And I've just found such comfort in walking with God, allowing Him to restore my soul and focusing on those ideas, unhurried and unworried, as I try to grow deeper. Thank you, Jamie. Bear with me for uh, I might read a bit. My wife and I have been coming to Christ Church for several years, on and off now, with our three children. We went pretty consistently when the children were small and connected through volunteering, both in the toddler room as the baby room 
in the baby room, and we felt a connection. I joined a small group as a part of an earlier series and began reading scripture regularly and found a connection and inner peace to God that I didn't even know was possible. Like Mike, I'm a consultant and was given an opportunity, an exceptional opportunity, but it required me to be on the road. I was able to balance a small group and keep up with reading for a period of time, but eventually it faded away. At the same time, our kids were getting older and joined an increasing number of activities, both in the week and the weekend, and our attendance at church started to wane. And as it did, so did our connection, my connection personally. Recently, as a result, recently, as a result of a disagreement with my wife, we were discussing our priorities, my priorities. Uh, we were both feeling out of alignment with those priorities. And we realized that not attending church was a very large part of that, probably the single biggest one. We discussed it admittedly and fallen down as our, as our responsibility to our children, as, as role models in faith and in spiritual leadership in our home. So we made a commitment to attend church regularly. Our kids grown because they didn't want to go. They didn't know anybody. Directors all of us not going often enough. Again, our responsibility. We organized the crew and made it, home, made it here uh, nearly on time. Uh, that day, Mike was introducing the series Going Deep. That concept of going deep resonated with my wife and I. We bought the books, committed to reading, and spent time discussing what the chapters meant to us. This alone created a deeper connection with my wife and I. We realized that we had our priorities backwards. We hadn't been going to church because we were too busy doing lots of other scheduled activities for us and for our children that conflicted with the church services. We needed to put church and our faith first, our growth in that faith. We made a commitment to reprioritize and hold each other accountable for that commitment, and we've done so. It wasn't but a few weeks and our oldest daughter started uh, and mentioned that she wanted to join the youth group. She made that decision on her own, and she committed to going to youth group services above and beyond the church services. She's even gone on a weekend retreat. Life with a 13-year-old girl can be challenging, but to be honest, we've seen some very positive change in her through that period. I'm very thankful. Our 10-year-old daughter has been sharing what she's learned in Sunday services with her 7-year-old brother, and I enjoy listening to their discussions in the backseat of my car and providing a little insight, like the fact that Jesus was not born in 1992. Uh, Two weeks ago, my 7-year-old wanted to attend church service with wife and I, and we obliged, and instead of drawing pictures, he picked up the Bible, and he started reading passages, and I directed him to a few of my favorite. And as he walked out through the parking lot, he was telling his sisters and his mom all the cool things he'd learned about how the world was created and how Jesus fed thousands of people with a few fish and loaves of bread. My family has a long way to go before we're deep, but we now have our priorities straight, and we share a passion for this journey in faith together. As I look back over my life, I realize the most connected I've been with God and when I've had the most inner peace was when I was putting the most effort in. When I was attending services, reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, and discussing my faith with others. The Deep Series has been a catalyst for my family and our connection to God and one another. I'm very appreciative of the series and the positive change that leaning in the faith has meant for me and my family and our lives. Thanks, Jeff. I think some of you may be able to relate to my religious upbringing. Mine was in the Catholic Church. And uh, I did the typical thing. I'd go to church every Sunday, mainly uninspired, mostly uninspired by the sermons. I'd go to confession once a month. I'd confess my sins. 
I'd go to the back of the church, do my penance, and then I'd proceed to say 10 Hail Marys, 10 Our Fathers, and 10 Apostle Creeds at something close to warp speed. And I think I wasn't getting the point. That went on for most of my adult life. So if you fast forward it about 40 years, I'm sitting here in Christ Church with my wife Mary Ann, and we're listening to a Mike Woodruff sermon. And it really hit me when he started talking about serving. And what hit me was that I was given these God-given gifts, and I thought I had honed them and made them better and made me a great business person. But I realized that these God-given gifts were really just that, God-given gifts. And sure, they were meant for me to prosper, but they were also meant to serve the sick, the poor, and the needy. And I realized at that time after Mike's sermon that I'd become probably too self-centered in my life, maybe not enough religious-centered and not enough God-centered. So I spoke to Alex Chu from Christ Church about a year a year ago now. And I said, Alex, I want to get off the sidelines and I want to get more involved with serving. And I, don't, I just don't want to serve when it's convenient for me or convenient for my golf game. And Alex pointed me to two ministries. One was Brothers United, which is a mentoring group for at-risk youths at North Chicago High School. And the other one's Love, Inc., a ministry that works with local churches in Lake County to coordinate services, but in essence, they help people in transitional housing get them off the floor and into a bed. Now, how that really works is, if you took someone at a pad shelter or at an, a shelter for abused women, and they had to move into transitional housing, we all realize pretty quickly they have nothing to put in that apartment. So what Loving does is coordinate services from all these Lake County churches, and we provide things like household starter kits, pots, pans, knives, forks, dish rags, refurbished beds, mattresses, box springs, donated furniture. We give them a Bible, and we give them a list of churches in the area. And the whole idea is this. Get that person hooked up with a church in Lake County, and that church becomes their new community. And that community then helps them get on their feet, off support, out of debt, and onto a life with Christ. Now, joining those two ministries has really been transformational for me. At Brothers United, mentoring 17 sophomores at North Chicago High School has been very fulfilling, whether it's academically, athletically, or spiritually. And I found that I just really love these kids. And some of it might be from my coaching in the past, but these kids are just great, and I just love these kids. At Love, Inc., there's nothing more heartwarming than seeing the look on a kid's face when he knows he's going to sleep on a bed for the first time in months and not just on a pile of rumpled clothes. Now... Our congregation's a great congregation, and, and it really shows the power that we have out here in this, in this group to serve. One quick example is we have 30 small prayer groups at Christ Church, and they've mobilized very quickly when we needed household starter kits. 
And right now, as we speak, they're putting them together over the next few weeks, and they will get donated items, and they will put these together and deliver them to Love, Inc. clients by mid-November. We have a ministry fair going on right now. I'd encourage all of you to go out there, maybe volunteer, and I hope it can be as transitional or transformational, I should say, as it has been for me. Thank you. Thank you. So pretty cool. Uh, just seeing some examples on how God is drawing people into a deeper reflective and meaningful life and service and just learning some things about being unhurried and unworried and making some priority changes for the family. Some pretty cool things. And I'm sure lots of those things are going on in your life. Well, let's stand for God's blessing. May you now go in the strong name of our Heavenly Father. May you walk in the Spirit. May His Son uh, be someone that you follow, and in following him, may you discover that flourishing path. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless Amen. you all.